ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast, hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers, and researchers, and while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello, listeners. I'm Amy McKinnon, national security reporter at Foreign Policy and your host of Foreign Policy Playlist. Each week, we help you make sense of the crazy number of podcasts out there by recommending one podcast from somewhere around the world. This week, I'm featuring The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world by Roads and Kingdoms. In each episode, host Nathan Thornborough sits down for a drink to talk about food, travel and adventure with everyone from Cuban tattoo artists to Mexican rabbis. In just a minute, we're going to play the very first episode of the series. But first, I spoke with Nathan about how he met his co-founder, the late Anthony Bourdain, and how a high thread count on your hotel sheets can make all the difference on a long trip. So how many episodes do you have now of the trip? I counted over 100 on my podcast app. What season are you on now? We uh, have officially just started season two, but I think this would safely be called the third life of the podcast. Uh, over the, the past couple lives of it, we I think have totaled somewhere around 112 episodes. I definitely made a good decision to just call the episode as we restarted last week, uh, season two, episode one, instead of season one, episode 113, because <laughs> I think that just uh, sounds fatiguing for everybody involved. You know, it, it's an unusual thing to do with the show, I guess. We, you know, we could have easily have shut it down and started another show with a new name, uh, particularly when Roads and Kingdoms had a bigger editorial crew but you know but there was also something i think that made us feel a little emotionally and spiritually locked in this is this is a project that uh, our former partner bourdain was really excited about and had taken pride in when he was alive and when we did that first season with him and as with a lot of things around roads and kingdoms you know there's a little bit of a like why not keep this going why not um a little bit of a feeling of keeping the string uh, uh, going somehow. And the current name is fantastic. Well, your current kind of uh, strap line is what, drinking with? Drinking with exceptional people around the world. Yeah, yeah. They come together almost like, a, you know, if you listen to them back to back, like an audio reporting trip. Like it kind of is, when I think of my reporting trips, if you, you know, you kind of jam them together into into five different episodes, that's what kind of, you know, so it almost kind of feels like you're going to Iraq on a little, a little kind of miniature reporting trip, but without ever leaving your, your bedroom, traveling through the podcast, which I really liked. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, 
and you as a journalist would understand this, there's there's a sense, and this is why I was never afraid to just structure these around drinks either, but, you know, there's a sense that getting a drink with the source is one of the high points of any reporting trip on some level. You know, you can learn so much uh, very quickly. It's it's a chance to be a little less formal maybe than what certainly what the final reporting project mm. would be. It's a sort of raw download in a way that ends up being almost the work behind the scenes. And that was a lot of impetus for Roads and Kingdoms at the very beginning. I mean, from the outset was always about using those experiences that we had gotten as foreign correspondents and turning them into uh, a kind of storytelling that we found a little more raw, a little darker, more lurid and transgressive, <laughs> maybe. And, and certainly that felt kind of intellectually sustaining for us as well. Um, so that is where the drinking with exceptional people around the world came through. How did you, um, going back to Roads and Kingdoms founding, I mean, how did you meet Tony uh, Anthony Bourdain and, and how do you decide to found a publishing company together? <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's funny. I met Tony. I, I was not, I didn't come from food. I didn't know who he was, but I was one of my many sort of editing gigs at Time Magazine uh, for a little while was as the editor of the back page, the 10 questions section, which was our celebrity sort of, you know, softball question hour <laughs> that we usually had. And one thing I learned very quickly in doing that job is that celebrities are assholes, almost without an exception. And the more I thought I liked somebody's work, the more disagreeable it was to, you know, to have to do these interviews because, you know, sometimes it wasn't even them. It's just their handlers, like, you know, just somebody's there to make you feel terrible. And it was one of the least favorite assignments that I had, but somebody actually put Tony's name on my desk and said, you know, hey, we should bring this guy in. He was still, I don't know, he must have been at the Travel Channel. And alone, I mean, seriously, a singular experience in my whole run at uh, as a 10 questions editor he was absolutely enjoyable. Mm -hmm. He showed up, took the subway, uh, showed up on his own, was incredibly generous with his time, did that thing that I think anybody who knows him or has seen him on TV knows, uh, which is he spoke in complete paragraphs with ultimate confidence and persuasion and charm and charisma. But what really struck me was just his kindness. Mm -hmm. He was a really curious guy. I mean, this is one of his superpowers, but he was asking me all kinds of questions about what we were doing at time and like about life in the Baghdad Bureau and all these other things that, you know, he just had so many questions for us, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I thought was pretty remarkable. So that was my one experience with him. And, you know, after I had left time, I met Matt Goulding, who did come from the food world, who'd been the food editor at Men's Health or something. And we both kind of decided to mix, I would say, basically foreign correspondence and food and see what that would look like. And Tony was the first guy we thought of. Matt had met him previously, I think, in Spain, where Matt uh, is living now. And we were both like, you know who would get a kick out of this? Because Tony was really starting. He wasn't at CNN yet, but he was really starting, you could tell, to move from food into journalism. Mm -hmm. And in as much as we were moving in the other direction, we were we were going to meet him halfway. And 
it wasn't just for us, although Roads and Kingdoms was ultimately the only company that he invested in. But even if it was just supporting a writer or a musician he loved, he could be fanatical. He could be absolutely dogged in his uh, what he would do for you if if he you know, wanted to see you succeed. So we didn't have any expectations really, you know, beyond maybe publishing a book with him at HarperCollins or two. Uh, but he immediately just said, you know, whatever you guys need, if you need money, if you need me to, you know, do events with you, if you need, and we just were like, no, actually great money. <laughs> you know, let's, let's start there. That would be incredible. Uh, you know, as, as you can imagine in, uh, indie digital media, long form media, money is always, uh, always a good place to start, but it ended up being so much more. And, and, you know, for all the, we've just come out of a big kind of Bourdain media push with the documentary and, and Lori Wooliver's book and, you know, it's been a lot of uh, a good chance for for me and and I think Matt also to to just reflect on how lucky we were to have those four years with him because he was such an amazing advocate mm-hmm. uh, above all. Um, so you know everything that he could do to bring attention and resources and really good projects to Roads and Kingdoms, he would and he did. And you know, I got to spend a lot of time with him on a personal and professional level and. That's an irreplaceable guy, and that's kind of an irreplaceable era for uh, for us. Did you ever get the chance to travel with him? Yeah, we did. You know, among some of the projects we did were some video uh, projects that were not parts unknown. They weren't sort of CNN related. They were actually digital offshoots of the show. Uh, so we got to travel to Spain, to Catalonia, to shoot there with him. Uh, we did some shooting in Los Angeles and... Uh, and, you know, we were producers. We won an Emmy, which was uh, amazing and feels slightly hallucinogenic <laughs> to have done because, you know, to be very honest, besides casting people that I loved as, you know, sort of various local sidekicks for Tony, you know, one of my main jobs was just to buy him cigarettes and, you know, kind of uh, hang out, you know, before and after a shoot. And I remember, uh, you know, he wanted a few roll joints or something course in los angeles weed was already legal there and cnn had watchers minders on the set because this was ostensibly a brand project that cnn had brought the brand in it was land rover i think you know so i was trying to be discreet about it as a producer going and getting weed for bourdain and i show up uh, we were in little ethiopia this very crowded sidewalk where tony and the cnn minders and you know everybody else is sort of sitting around and i roll up with this little paper bag and tony kind of shouts from across the way ah you got the weed thanks <laughs> so i sort of like slinked over there in front of uh, our corporate overlords to uh, hand him his baggie uh, <laughs> of weed. So yeah, uh, that that was uh, you know that was the experience of of traveling with Tony. Is he's just as you would imagine he was from television. He was an incredibly consistent personality. And there's times you know where you're sitting down and having sushi and beers with him, and and you're kind of wondering where the cameras are. Because the way, you know, just the conversations and the the questions he would always ask. Again, as a journalist, I I think you would appreciate this. I sure did. Like an incredible interviewer constantly. He just, he wanted to know. And not not a lot of fluff. He wasn't like, you know, how's your dog doing or anything. But like really getting quickly to, to deeper conversations that kind of mirrored his own obsessions and interests. And it was pretty fascinating. 
a very solid travel companion. You know, I took a lot away from that, including wherever possible, getting the best hotel bed possible. <laughs> like a, he was a real hotel hound, which is funny because, you know, you want to eat in any kind of environment. You want to meet every kind of person that you can. And often, you know, the, the, uh, the, the most opulence is the most boring, but a high thread count can really, you know, kind of can really prolong your enjoyment of, uh, of a trip. And if you're spending as much time on the road as I do these days, certainly as he did, that's a little trick that I took with me. That and, uh, and edibles. <laughs> that was Nathan Thornborough. And here now is episode one of The Trip. The Root of All Things, which first aired in January of 2018. I'm Anthony Bourdain, and you're listening to The Trip, a new podcast for my partners at Roads and Kingdoms. The Trip is your passport to all things weirder, deeper, further. Each episode, a different Roads and Kingdoms contributor will take you behind the scenes of a reporting trip somewhere in the world with host Nathan Thornburg from Roads and Kingdoms. Now, Kara Parks of Roads and Kingdoms talks to Nathan Thornburg about his travels to find heavy hallucinogens in the jungle. And she calls him a douchebag. Rightly so. The trip. Get ready for the ride. The nice thing about vomiting is it happens on both levels. You're definitely vomiting in reality, but you're vomiting in the spirit world. <laughs> it just means different things. <laughs> One bucket, two meanings. That's <laughs> horrifying. I can't believe I'm at work talking about this. I can. <laughs> I actually was wondering about this. How did you first hear about ayahuasca? What what kind of propelled you down there in the first place? One of the first trips that I took when I was with Roads and Kingdoms, it was kind of a reporting trip, was down to the Amazon to report on ayahuasca tourism. And funnily enough, I was I was there like a couple weeks after CNN had sent a documentary crew down there. And everybody that I talked to said, oh, yeah, well, CNN had been calling a couple weeks ago, and they said that they would like to do a story about ayahuasca, but they couldn't legally take ayahuasca. <laughs> so a lot of the people down there were like, well, we're not going to work with you because you're just going to watch us flip out, and you're going to think we're weirdos, and then you're going to go home, and that's the story you're going to tell. They had a sort of uh, a commitment test that you had to pass, like you actually had to do the ayahuasca. So one of the great you know, liberties of working at a place with absolutely nothing to lose like Roads and Kingdoms is you get to take the ayahuasca. I have done psychedelics, but I had a very bad breakup with them maybe 20 years ago. I mistook like my natural body oils for blood. Mm -hmm. Just yep. leave it there. Okay. It's bad. It's a bad <laughs> night. <laughs> Bottom line is I'm going down to Iquitos and I'm I'm, I'm bringing a lot of fear. My name is Carlos Tanner, and I'm the program director for the Ayahuasca Foundation. I'm 35 years old, and I'm from Massachusetts. I run into this guy, Carlos Tanner. Carlos Tanner, I first saw his stuff online. You can, you can find him online. He's a voluble YouTuber, mm -hmm. uh, which is immediately sounds sounds accurate. <laughs> a sign of trust. Science of plant spirit medicine can spread throughout the world. This YouTube video where he's talking about his own transformational experience and and what led him to start this thing called the uh, the Ayahuasca Foundation down in Peru and his 
testimony, his personal testimony, was that he had had all of this GI distress, you know, doctors up here at Western, you know, that whole thing, the hospitals were failing him, having a rough time of it. He went down uh, to Peru, did ayahuasca. When he was on ayahuasca, he entered his own mouth and uh, ducked down into his stomach and found there that there was a squid blocking one of his ducts. And I'll do it. He wrestled the squid, freed it, returned it to the uh, the dirty water of his stomach, um, and that's that's what cured him. Mm-hmm. I saw that, and it's not like empirically. I was like, yes, let me follow this this medicine man. <laughs> uh, so I called him up and I talked to him, and and um, I just got a a feeling like this guy's okay. So the, the crazy guy who wrestled a squid in his own stomach that you found on YouTube, that was your, that, that soothed some of your, your fears. He shares with us the knowledge that he has learned through his traditional initiation into the Shipibo science of plant spirit medicine. Then that creates now an added challenge because you still have to go back and tell people about ayahuasca. And you have to do it in a way that people can understand, which is, Almost completely impossible. And because that is sort of tough. On the one hand, someone's talking about something like this. You do want to get their experience and you want them to really like be in it and experiencing it at the same time that there's nothing that, you know, you kind of want to hear less about than someone's just like, like three hour trip, you know, like just three hours of like just getting high and like what they like, you know, them going through the shit. And like, it's just like, it's like someone like cornering you and telling you about their dreams you're like, great for you, but I don't need to know that. So it's like, it's hard to be able to balance that journalistic instinct toward experiential reporting and not just being kind of like this self-indulgent D-bag who's just doing drugs in the jungle, talking about it. Was that... I feel you... very called out right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you land, small plane, short flight over incredible mountains. There's a kid, gets my bag, we throw it on the back, I get behind him, and he takes me to uh, Don Enrique, who is a Shipibo shaman, who is uh, Carlos's partner. There's something about Don Enrique, he's got a very calm face, very, like, doesn't move a lot. Uh, He just seems, like, placid. I believe that if Don Enrique was not who he is, Shipibo Indian, who comes from a long line of medicine men, that he would be like actually like a nurse or a doctor. He'd work in healthcare. He'd be in a hospital. Like, you know, this just he just has that thing. You're like, he likes to uh, to take care of people. He's got a good bedside manner. The people I was going out to see in his this camp he calls Inkankana. One of the things that was so incredible about the experience that I was able to have is I was not part of some kind of ayahuasca tour with people who were coming out and doing um, doing a couple ceremonies and then running back. It's like I am I'm part of a medical community, like a fully legit school whose purpose is to create doctors in the ayahuasca uh, world. I've dropped in on like a graduating class, proud young doctors ready to take their medicine out into the world, 
into most of the countries where it's illegal and then run these ceremonies and bring plant medicine to to people who can't otherwise make it out to the Peruvian Amazon. Then we get out and we walk. And that's, uh, that's where it began, on a mud path to the jungle. It was, you know, it's what the Amazon feels like the Amazon should be. It's uh, a lot of mud, screaming insects, uh, a bunch of leaves cutting at your face for like maybe an hour walk. Before we kind of get into the ceremony, can you just talk about what ayahuasca is? Let me back up and say the improbability of having discovered ayahuasca by accident due to the basic complexity of what ayahuasca is is one of the things that makes me believe that ayahuasca is like a thing. That like maybe somebody had actually just dropped a little bit of an earworm in a in a shipibo a long time ago and said, take this and then mix it with that. Because it's complicated. It's like it's the the resin of a the ayahuasca vine and you've got to brew it basically with the leaves of this chacruna plant and it's that combination that has that right combination of dmt and and uppers and downers and molly and like all the stuff that makes you feel the feelings and and uh i always think like man how many of these dudes must have just died (laughs) from like (laughs) sucking on every jungle vine brewing tea out of every leaf until they reached the one that was like oh there you are god (laughs) and you can wake up in the morning okay so you're in the jungle you've reached the camp uh you're with don enrique don enrique is there with wilma his his wife um they've got a lot of local workers who are around mainly construction guys and then there's the rat hunters they shot the largest rat i've ever seen this thing called a mahas like a 30 pound rat something like a dog-sized thing and uh, cooked it. Wilma cooked it with some bell peppers. Yeah. She brought those from Iquitos. <laughs> but it, it was protein. One of the things I love about ayahuasca culture, and it's so directly in, incompatible with, with like kind of hippy-dippy like psychedelic culture. Or, you know, a lot of people were coming there. They, they were on juice cleanses or maybe they were vegetarians. They, you know, spiritualists in the North American vein. So the Shipibo are basically like, you can come and learn about ayahuasca, but you're going to do it our way. One, you got to eat meat. Like, you're going to eat some rats. Like, <laughs> you are going to eat jungle meat. No question. Like, you have to eat meat. You can't be a vegetarian down there. And you have to smoke. Now, I'm a former smoker, so that is, like, amazing to me. Down there in the Amazon, your doctor is like, Light up, son. <laughs> like, let me roll it for you. And it's not just any tobacco. It's like, it's like jungle galois. It's like, they call it mapacho. It's like super dark, tarry, like intense tobacco. And they chain smoke it. And they make all of the medical students chain smoke. <laughs> it's basically like the point is to envelop yourself in this smoke, which is a great protector. You know, this is spiritual warfare that's going on. So you're, um, are you in like a structure or are you, what's kind of... Yeah, so one, one of the things that these, uh, these gentlemen have cleared the Amazon for is to build a circular 
you know, kind of yurt style structure. And that's every like ayahuasca ceremony is supposed to take place under this circular thing. And a lot of what I first see the medical students doing, I mean, the heat is outstanding. So they're not doing anything fast. They're doing a lot of like drawing. They're like painting their dreams and their ayahuasca visions. And they're painting them on the outside uh, of this hut, this circular hut, where they're painting them on fabric cloth that they'll hang up. It's like, it's real like art camp for hallucinators, you know? Uh, <laughs> my worst nightmare. <laughs> uh, so I'm on a mat in a, in a half circle in, in this circular yurt with, um, you know, with four or five of these guys. And in front of me, Don Enrique is sitting there. And I am kind of waiting for Don Enrique to say anything, but he's pretty, he's pretty out, like, He's getting ready. In his world, he's like, he's strapping on like body armor. <laughs> like he's he's, he's, he's passing over in a serious way. He's going to the uh, he is going to the armory. <laughs> what he actually looks like is just a a, a, a middle aged pivo dude smoking a lot uh, and with his legs crossed in the in the center of a of a yurt. Um, but the energy is uh, is focused. So one by one, he calls us up, and he has us sit like cross leg in front of him, and and he hands us the the cup. Put the cup to your lips, and then all hell breaks loose because that is some disgusting, disgusting stuff. Like the the you know. There's a lot of gross stuff to run through when talking about ayahuasca, but you you have to start with how this shit tastes and like the 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 consistency, bitter viscous viscous bitter. So it's like thick. It's thick. It's gross. Yeah, big pharma hasn't had a chance to put a put a teaspoon of sugar in that. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 real medicine. Did you have one of those moments right before you took it? And I feel like a lot of times when people are ingesting drugs, there's that moment right before you actually ingest it where you're like, I could not. Like, I don't, I don't gotta. Did you, because especially you were bringing in sort of this previous fear, did you have a moment where you were like, mm. I had nothing but those moments. <laughs> Just. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Don Enrique said something interesting. He said, uh, well, if you're afraid, you just, you know, ask ask her, like ask Mother Ayahuasca, like if you should be afraid. Just don't worry about it until you can get a chance to ask her. And I was like, well, that sounds crazy, uh, but okay. That's that's the least comforting thing I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. <laughs> You've taken your viscous bitter, warmed over death drink, and then what happens? The ayahuasca starts slow. You really you ramp up, and within that time, there's a lot of there's a lot. You're I think. For me, my brain is working a lot quicker than the drug, so I'm already like out in front. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm already like, okay, am I am I crazy high? Like, so this vine comes along into my field of vision and and uh, turns into uh, the head and and shoulders of a of a woman, and then it kind of, but it's still like this plant one. I'm like, mother, <laughs> mother, I was gonna. And it turns around, 
and it's got scars on its back, you know, and I was like, man, it's like, it's Mother Ayahuasca, and, and you know, the jungle has been hurt. Jungle is in pain. <laughs> it's, it's deep. <laughs> and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, overtaken with the absolute, like, incontrovertible reality that I have just totally made that thing up in my head. <laughs> Like, I've just chosen a really stupid, like, visual metaphor for the jungle and for Mother Ayahuasca. And I've just, like, created, like, the Sesame Street version of what raping and pillaging the environment should look like. <laughs> so you're, you're the Lorax and you're speaking for the trees at this moment. <laughs> That's basically what's... So I'm recording now. It's about three hours in. And the only reason why I'm recording this because I'm pretty sure. I don't know for sure, but I think that Ayahuasca would be happy for me to share the message. But um, this has been just like a very blissful, smooth, easy, you know, for something that does make you throw up experience. And I'm just uh, grateful for that. You know, I came in with a lot of fears about whether it be a bad trip or, you know, I've had some experience with that, but this is something very different. And, um, yeah, it's just beautiful. You just feel loved and, and uh, you actually feel the presence of spirits and, and Mother Ayahuasca. I, I know you'll laugh when you hear this, but it's true. Maybe you have to. So I'm having this thought and this thought, and then all of a sudden, bam, I got to throw up. You throw up, and it's uh, when you're doing it the right way, like your, your head clears out, and then just this light enters in. You're like, I'm all empty. I got space. And uh, so now that we're fully into it, I'll tell you, like, after that first thing and that, that old vision goes away, um, I'm sitting there, and then this light comes, and... And it feels external. Like, that's the thing. I'm like, this is a thing I can't make. Like, I'm not doing this. And all background, you know, in my life, like, I'm complete atheist. Like, I don't believe in any of this stuff. Uh, I, I have deep skepticism of, like, tripping balls and learning stuff. I have to say, like, I've feel like this is a very external thing that was like all of a sudden happened and it's like this this giant light and it's all like there's no visual there's no like visual metaphor i'm not like <laughs> painting a word picture uh you know that that's fitting something it's just like this this overwhelming sense of just like emotions like you're you're you know whatever that externality that that comes in through through open doors there like it felt like it was the good one it was like it was the, the good presence We'll be right back after this break. My name's Kurt Jaimungo. And this is the Theories of Everything podcast. The show where we bring rigor to mathematics, physics, and consciousness. Exploring grand unified theories, as well as free will and God. 
Even exploring aliens with former CIA Lou Elizondo. Heated debates on metaphysics with Kastrup and Verveke. Imagine you are an organism that spans a galaxy. How does the universe look to you? Type in theories of everything on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all platforms. Don Enrique had... He had asked me to, to bring a question, not just about the fear, but just like generally, like, what are you trying to solve here, you know? And, and it, it's diagnostic, it's like medicinal. So I was like, well, I'm having some GI problems. He's like, all right, we'll get that checked out. But you can ask other things too, you know, like bring another question. And I had a question, which I still have. And I, I mean, so Mother Ayahuasca gives me an answer. That's fine. Like, I, I still have it. I'd, I'd like to hear it. I'll be working with this for a while, but I think as journalists, you you have this thing where you get involved in people's lives, you know, and, uh, you know, and especially in news, um, which I did, you know, for a lot of years at time, like you're going and you're like, oh, so your son was just murdered. You know, like some terrible things happen and here I am, I'd, I'd like to ask you about it. And there's something about that that is like fundamentally inhuman, like that I've never quite, gotten right with I was also doing that kind of dispassionate inquisitive like you know I was doing that with ayahuasca too so I did have that question and continually throughout that first ceremony I felt like that question was being answered and you'll never guess but the answer was like it's cool you're doing great (laughs) so yeah and in in that vein how are you sort of like documenting this as you're also like fighting you know the cosmic forces that are trying to attack your brain you know i had like the audio recorder on like i was talking to people i was i was taking notes i was going to write a story about this i wasn't secret about that like carlos and don enrique and everybody knew i was going to write about this but i had to get like i had to get a release signed by mother ayahuasca and she signed it I don't know why it bothers me so much, but something about the personification of Mother Ayahuasca every time. And everyone I know who's tried it does that. They make it seem like very much like this external presence that they met to a certain degree. And I don't know why some part of my brain can't accept that, but but uh, but it does seem like a very intrinsic part of like this drug experience, sort of meeting this being. There are a couple things about ayahuasca that feel structural that also have that share some of its DNA with um, DMT and what that experience is like. And those things almost make me believe in it more. DMT has always had this effect. People describe seeing kind of grids like geometry, like deep geometry, like alien geometry. And they just look at it and they know that that's alien geometry. Ayahuasca, like high-level ayahuasca, is like Don Enrique, dude, is all about aliens. It is alien geometry that is like that at the at the top. That is like the the sea org of <laughs> ayahuasca. <laughs> ayahuasca feels like it brings a certain structure of conversation to you, and and it, the, like that experience is somewhat uniform person to person. Um, so yeah, so can you kind of just explain what Don Enrique is doing during this? How he is doctoring to everyone? Really, the main the main form of this kind of telepathic communication or experience that happens is through a song. <laughs> 
มื่อนี้มื่อนี้ว่าไปมื่อนี้มาเกิด The song it's called a Ikaro. There's a number of different songs. It's like a you know, a song chant、um, in Shipibo language, and and you、uh, you ride that thing, man. You you just like he sings it, and and you ride it somewhere, and you all do it together. You're all listening to it. So during this ceremony, Don Enrique is getting advice from animals. Like jaguars, snakes—they all represent some plant, and they have a—they do rounds on you. You know, like in medical school, like residents will do rounds. A gaggle of them will go patient by patient, and they'll talk about them in the third person as if they're not in the room, and come up with some sort of plan of care. So what happened when once you got home? You know, it felt for a while like the medicine had kind of done its job, and and you know, at that point, I was like at at a real high point for like belief, you know, in this because plant medicine, man, this is the thing. On board. I found something. And then, and then. And then, I didn't write the story. <laughs> It's. That's a main thing. I was like,、uh, spent about a year thinking about this. The idea is always to like write about this on some level and, and get this down. And it just was in my head a lot. And, and I'm busy now running things at Roads and Kingdoms, and it's not not happening、uh, as a story. This one morning, I woke up and.、Uh, Saw this like lump in my neck, and you know I showed it to my wife, who I think had gotten over her you know, complete confoundment at the fact that I'd gone down to the jungle and done a bunch of fake ass medicine,、uh, you know, from her point of view. As soon as she saw the lump, she's like, "You know, that's not that, that shouldn't be there. You need to get that checked out." The long story short, discovered it was cancer. It had been there a while. My main question, which I'm sure just confused the hell out of them, is like, did I have this cancer two years ago? <laughs> you're like, why does that matter to you? And I didn't even get into it with them. But I was just like, just tell me if I had this. I'm just asking for a friend. Right. And.、Uh, And they were like, "Yeah, yeah, you had that cancer." You know, the good news about the kind of cancer I had is it's such a poster child for Western medicine. You know, you cut it out, and then you go through radiation, and it works, and you're done. And I'm, I'm done. I, uh, I'm very happy to say I, I'm cancer free. I have one more surgery left, but like, none of you know, this is not like, it's not a fatal. Uh, oversight on ayahuasca's part or anything like that. I feel like it's just the just the right amount of, you know, kind of fact check on ayahuasca. 
is Carlos Tanner, and I'm the program director for the Ayahuasca Foundation. So I call Carlos to talk to him about this. I'm like, Carlos, I, I've got cancer. I had it when I was down there, and Mother Ayahuasca didn't tell me. She didn't say a peep about it. Carlos said, well, maybe you weren't ready. Yeah. <laughs> Which is undefeated argument to yeah. this day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from the curanderos and uh, holistic faith healers uh, and, uh, and itinerant preachers of the world. Um, if you're not ready for the message, then I guess you weren't going to get it. Yeah. Did you feel betrayed at all or were you just sort of like I mean I never expected that much of this not at all I would not be true to my own belief system if I was like 100% expecting that ayahuasca was actually going to diagnose something and of course you know I get to sit here with you know the advantage of having gotten past cancer so uh, I get to be magnanimous about it I had always been looking in all of these experiences for the limits of, of what it could do and what I, you know, the limits of my own belief in it. And that was a real good hard stop limit. Like, you know, ayahuasca is this diagnostic. That's the main thing is the diagnostic power of ayahuasca. Definitely pretty fucking sure this does not diagnose cancer. <laughs> <laughs> You know, what do you think you actually gained from this experience? I mean, if it it wasn't helping you in the diagnostic sense that they were promising and you weren't expecting it to or holding it to that standard, that but you still seem to feel that you got a lot out of it, that you, you know, that you changed somehow. What what do you think you were hoping to get out of it and what did you actually get out of it that's that stayed with you? I mean, Western medicine still has no fucking idea how to deal with, you know, the emotional part of people dealing with. I mean, you know, I saw a lot of death when I was in these ceremonies and like as little as ayahuasca had helped the physical, it gave me a lot of tools to just deal with shit. Like in my mid thirties, had two super young kids, was definitely not expecting or um, it wasn't like cancer time. And there's no hallucination that's weirder than, like, seeing a part of your own body that doesn't look the way that it's supposed to, you know? And to, to have that experience of, of, of realizing that you've got this thing, you know, in you that's trying to kill you, like, that's some trippy shit. Ayahuasca at least had loosened my relationship with weird things. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had done this stuff when I was a kid, like when I, you know, in my early 20s. And then you go about the business of calcifying and having a family, having kids, like a career, all of this stuff. It's not usual that you go back to doing hallucinogens and then you like reopen a psychedelic, you know, mall in your mind. Um, and I just happened to have done that. And I felt like that was exactly what I needed to have done, strangely enough. So maybe I was ready for it. Yeah. Take that, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on ayahuasca right now. <laughs> I feel like I need to say as a representative of Resident Kingdoms that we're not encouraging people to go to the Amazon and do ayahuasca. 
That's the, I I overrule. <laughs> we are totally half encouraging. of us are encouraging people <laughs> to go to the Amazon and do ayahuasca. I I would uh, I think it could be kind of amazing. Just uh, just give us a ring first. We'll we'll tell you how to how to do it right. That was episode one of The Trip, The Root of All Things. Listen to the rest of the series wherever you get your podcasts. My thanks to Nathan Thornborough and the rest of the team at Roads and Kingdoms for sharing their podcast with us. That's all for Foreign Policy Playlist. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. And if you want to suggest a great podcast, please email us at podcasts at foreignpolicy.com. The show is hosted by me, Amy McKinnon, and is produced by Simone Perez, Rob Sachs, and Rosie Julin. Our executive producer of podcasts is Dan Efron. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast, hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers and researchers, and while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>